0: good good morning wonderful to be with you folks I want to begin by thanking you so much for your partnership with us through all these years and for the blessing you have been we want to take the first part of our time this morning uh, to show you what the Lord has been doing through your prayers and through your support and through the ministry that he has there in Nigeria One of our favorite Southern Gospel groups uh, has become Greater Vision. I don't know if you've heard Greater Vision, but the the song that attracted me to them to begin with is For All He's Done. And this is really a good theme song for our ministry because this isn't what we have done. This is what the Lord has done, and that's what we want to share with you. It says, every morning when I wake to see the sun, I can't help but think about the Lord and all the things he's done. He meets my every need. You know he's been so good to me. And I can't help but praise the Lord for all he's done. Next. So what we want to do this morning is we want to peel back the layers of our ministries in Nigeria and show you what the Lord is doing. If you look at the map, this is Nigeria superimposed over the US. So that gives you an idea of the size of Nigeria. However, go back just a minute, uh, however in this, you will notice that they have a population of 190 million people. The, their 50% of the population is under the age of 30. And the median age in Nigeria is 17 years old. The growth the uh, growth of the nation is happening about five million per year. They estimate by 2050, they will be somewhere between the third and the seventh largest nation in the world, population- wise. Next. In this slide, what I want to show you is particularly the one on the right. If you look at the, at the picture, the top half is green. That's the Muslim area of Nigeria where they have Sharia law, which makes it impossible to share your faith without being executed. The lower half, the yellow part, is supposedly Christian. Now what you have to realize is this doesn't mean born-again. This is like Republican or Democrat. If you're not Muslim, you're automatically Christian, okay? Actual born-again believers would probably be maybe 8%. Uh, In that picture as well, if you look right in the center, you will see Joss, that city. I didn't realize until we saw this picture how close we are to Sharia territory. If you go to Joss, we're on that finger sticking up there. We're 18 miles west of that dot. So we're right on the edge of Sharia in Nigeria. Next. There are problems with many different things in Nigerian society. The persecution of Christians is still very strong, and it is one of the most persecuted nations in the world. The Muslims are trying to take over the country and are determined to do so. so. The middle group, Boko Haram, uh, has been our our brand of ISIS uh, is, fortunately right now they're on the run. The new president has been after them and has driven them out of some of their territories. They're still active. They are still striking, but now it's from a defensive position rather than on the offensive. The biggest problem Nigeria is facing right now is the falling Naira. Naira is their money. When we went to Nigeria in January of 88, if we took $1 to the bank, they would only give us 88 kobo. It wasn't even a, a Naira. And by the time it came to the year dollars to the bank, they would give us 135 Naira. By 2015, they would give us 200 Naira for one dollar. And as of this month, just two years later, if we take one dollar to the bank, 355 Naira. So the problem for us As missionaries, that's good because the money that's given to us and the money we spend on widows and the different ministries we have is multiplied by 355. That part's the good part. The bad part is for the people it's terrible because their wages are not increasing and they continue to lose value. They have half as much money as they did two years ago and they were in trouble then next this is a big problem it's it's appropriate that this is uh, the Sunday for the persecuted church just a week before we left Nigeria so the second week of September um, the Muslim Fulani in our area started attacking uh, the tribe that we are ministering to the Iruguay and at first it was just an isolated killing back and forth there uh, but then they started going on a rampage. And rather than coming into the city, into the village, where there are many people, they hit outlying villages. And two weeks ago, uh, they hit one of the villages and killed 59 of the people there. Another time, there was a group, many of the people at the outlying villages are trying to come into the, to the main part of the hub. So they don't, so they're less likely to be attacked. And there were 27 people fleeing from one of the outlying uh, villages, and they came upon the military, and the military convinced them to go into the to a school where they could protect them overnight. So they went in and all got into that, and then soon one of the people who escaped told that. Suddenly, there was no sound of soldiers outside, and she looked out and saw them disappearing into the brush to, to allow and kill them. They reportedly have machine guns, and they came and just killed everybody in the building. She fortunately slipped out and went away, or we would never have known the story of what actually happened. Next. At this point... Um, 58 are dead, 1,000 have been reported to be displaced, 3,000 plus women and children have sought refuge in uh, safer areas like Miango town. The Fulani um, have machine guns as I have mentioned, go on to the next one. So far 31 homes have been burned as last we heard and even worse not only are they destroying their homes but in that. Second picture from the left, you see a round building. That is their granary. That's where all their food for the year is stored. And they're making sure in each of these places that they burn all their food supply. The people are in trouble uh, for food anyway, and this just makes it worse. Next. Each of these things that you see on the slide are true. The last one is really a big problem they desperately need the harvest this was going to be a good year but the problem is the farmers they live in the town but their their farms are out and they're afraid to go harvest because when you go out then you are a target for the Fulani so it is a big problem right now as you know the main thing that we go to do and the thing that we spend the vast majority of our time doing is dentistry Next, in the, in the clinic there, we meet the needs of our um, missionaries, but more importantly, we meet the needs of the, the Nigerians who are around us. Pride of Our patients are uh, Nigerian. Next, through the years, the Lord has gone before to help us. We've talked about this before. These are some of the men who have come out to help Uh, When I went to Nigeria 30 years ago, we had a lamp in the living room and I didn't know how to change the plug on the end of a lamp. I'm embarrassed to say that at this point. But through necessity, I have had to learn to do a whole lot of things because there's nobody to turn to. These men came not only to help with electrical and with the generator next, but in the process, they taught me how to do the things as well. And so I can do some of the maintenance and some of the simpler things. Uh, These men have just been a major encouragement to us. Next one. Now for problems beyond our understanding, uh, they will get on the phone with us. They will get on by Skype. They will email us. Sometimes I'll call them and say, we're having this problem, it's urgent, they'll say, okay, look at this and this and this, and tell me what you find. Other times with the generator man, um, I will call him and say, I cannot get the generator going, nothing works. And he says, what does it sound like? And I describe it to him, he says, let me hear it. So I hold the cell phone over the generator. And he'll listen to it for 10 seconds or so. And he says, that sounds like a fuel line problem. You need to do this and this and this. And pretty soon we're back up and running again. So the Lord has really blessed us. In this particular one, we're Skyping with technicians uh, here at Patterson and Knoxville. These men are very kind. It costs 200 plus an hour to get a technician to help you. So these men arrange after hours. Uh, they will go to somebody's house and get on Skype. And they've Skyped with us for as much as four hours at a time. Now, the wonderful thing is, it's free. The bad news is, 6 p.m. here is midnight where we are. <laughs> so, but it's it's wonderful just to be able to do it. Next. I've told you before, dentistry is not worth risking our lives over. We would never go just for that discipleship is. The discipleship is what keeps us going. We have one group where we're training the leaders of tomorrow. A second group where we're building up today's and we're just thrilled to be watching the Lord change lives. Next. This is the young group. We meet with them from 7 to 9 p.m. on Tuesday nights. These young men are growing in the Lord like crazy. Many of them are starting their own ministries now. And they are, you know, I come in from the office at 5 o'clock and I'll say to Ruth, I just don't think I can do any more today. I'm exhausted. But we don't want to disappoint them. So I go out at 7 and I start meeting with them. By the time I come in at night, I am so excited I have trouble. I have trouble going to sleep. So it's just a big blessing. Next. One of the things that we just had two weeks before we came home with this Young Disciples Retreat, we've been doing ones with adolescents, Ruth rewrote the material for young men. And in this three-day retreat, uh, we talked about purity. We talked about the traps of manhood. And we talked about uh, de- letting the Lord develop guard- godly character in their lives. We had high hopes for this retreat. It far exceeded anything we could hope for. Next. Three of the men in this group, I I could tell you about each one of them. Jerry on the left. Jerry Gaius is a real joy to us. He is in law school. He will be graduating this year. Jerry is determined that he's going to show Nigeria what an honest lawyer looks like. The one in the middle, John Moses, is kind of a quiet person, but when I went to visit him at his house, I, have a, uh, I often have a question for them of what, um, what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? And when I uh, asked John this question, he said, I want to be a discipler. That kind of surprised me because usually it's doctor, or lawyer, or something else. And I said, why is that? He said, you've got to understand. Before you knew me, when I was a teenager, I was an alcoholic. And the Lord saved me, but for years I just waffled back and forth until I got in the discipleship group. I never knew the Bible had the answers that it does, and I never knew that you could know them. I want to spend the rest of my life telling others what I have learned. The one on the far right is Nguye Yakubo. Nguye was with us for a year when the Lord called him into the ministry. He went to seminary and has just finished a year ago going through our seminary. In The first new church. He didn't even sleep the first night because the Fulani attacked and they had to flee. And as he was fleeing, one of the women fleeing to the hills couldn't go fast as she wanted to. So she laid her child beside the road and, and kept going. He couldn't stand that, so he went over, picked up the child, and reunited it with its mom the next day. So he's a neat guy. Next, please. This is the Pastors and Elders group. This group has grown to six pastors from our local churches and their elders. They are a terrific joy. Next slide. One of the things that happened with these men is they were asked, to evaluate the course, and they said, first of all, they've learned more doing this than they have in anything, which is saying something for, because several of them have been through seminary, they also mentioned that this was really important to them, because in Nigeria, the pastors are aloof, they don't mix with their elders or the common people, the laity, Uh, they're kind of separate on a pedestal. These men are not that way at all. They're very humble, and the elders have really loved being able to study with their pastors, to rub shoulders with them, and to get to know them. Don't if it's on. Try it.
1: Gracias. not one that comes just to get grain, this woman is the one that's always there helping me get out the grain. But this year she came to our house and she was talking to me and she said, yeah. do normal breeding and you say, okay, she wants something, What is she after. And pretty soon she said, I have nothing to eat. And it so happened that because of the falling naira, everybody struck them. And the food available to the women, them? Even less the best the So we made the This year we had 548 widows that received grain. 67 bags of grain went out to 47 different churches. These young discipleship groups have been very active in helping us with the widows. As I'm getting older, I'm finding that that squatting and dipping the grain and putting it in the bag is a little bit much for my knees and back, but these young men are very, very, And we try that this is the one with the greatest need. Next. Each widow will receive one gift. They will either get a piece of fabric, a sweater, or a blanket, and then they will give the ingredients and they will leave the circus It's amazing to me. They don't thank us. Immediately, their response is to praise the Lord. As one of our widows told us once, we now know that. The signature group is also very active in helping with the Christmas project. Next. Remember our song. are taking care of everything that we own in Nigeria while we're gone, and we're very, very thankful for their honesty and their faith in Next. And then finally,
0: Okay, we want to shift gears a little bit now and um, go into a time in the Lord's Word. Let's pray before we begin this. Our Father, we do praise you. We thank you. We love you. We pray for those friends and uh, those people we work with who are being persecuted. Father, we praise you. We praise you for including us, all of us here in this ministry. And Lord, we just pray for your blessings on each of us. We pray now as we open your word that you will speak to us, that you will guide us, that you will control each thing that we think and do. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a few years ago, when we went to our annual spiritual life conference uh, for for S.I.M. Nigeria, they shocked us with a statistic. And that statistic was between the years of 2000 and 2010, Nigeria lost 88% of its missionaries. Only 12% remained after that 10 year period of time. Why did so many of them leave Nigeria? Why did they abandon their calling? Well, to be fair, some of them were led to ministries in other countries. But for most who left, their departure can be attributed to internal and external forces. External forces included armed robberies on the highways and in their homes, Kidnappings, bombings, and the ever-increasing danger of being targets of terrorists. The internal forces that helped them to give up included not being sure that the Lord was still with them, not being sure that he could protect them and that they could trust him for that, and if he could protect them, would he? 88% left. This morning I want to look at with you at Exodus chapter 17. Turn with me if you would. Exodus chapter 17. Here we see similar struggles among God's people to what the missionaries went through in Nigeria. By way of background, this is probably the lowest point in Israel's history from the time they left Egypt at the Exodus until they entered into the Promised Land. Like the Nigeria missionaries of today, they faced internal and external crises as well. Now, to this point in previous chapters, God has already shown them that he is capable of defeating all of Egypt's gods He was able to deliver them from Pharaoh's mighty army, the most powerful military in the world at that time. He has parted the Red Sea and taken them through. He has made bitter water sweet so they would have water to drink. He's also given them manna and meat every morning to supply the nutrition they needed. But now in chapter 17 the Lord gives them two additional provisions, water and victory in battle. Now you've got to understand, in this 40-year period, we are only about six months into it. They haven't even been to Mount Sinai yet to receive the Ten Commandments. God has been demonstrating to them that he's capable of nourishing and sustaining his own. He wants them to learn to trust him. So let's look first at the internal crisis in verses 1 to 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. You notice they don't ask for it, they demand it. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What was Moses' response? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, uh, well, I'll stop there come back to that. This is worse than their previous murmurings. They've been murmuring every day just about as they've come out. This one's getting worse because now they're quarreling with Moses and threatening to stone him. God's people tempt and test the Lord when they distrust his kindness in his providential care. They also test him when they grumble against him and his leaders. Now, that's one thing for Israel, but we'd never do that today, would we? Hmm. Unfortunately, I see a lot of similarities between us and the Israelites. Moses turns to the Lord instead of trying to solve the problem himself. And that's a very praiseworthy characteristic. Regarding this testing, Gabe Line writes, God's people are prone to grumbling at the first hint of adversity, no matter how abundant and spectacular may be the evidence of his power and presence. In less than six months, they had witnessed ten plagues, the pillar of cloud and fire, the opening and the shutting of the Red Sea, the miraculous sweetening of water, the sending of food and meat from heaven. Yet their real question came down to this. Is the Lord among us or not? Does God really care? Can he really provide for us? So now with verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go and behold I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it that the people may drink Uh, rather than go on in reading to shorten this a little what he says is you go do this take the elders with you so you have a witness that I am providing he struck the rock the water came and um, they were saved So the Lord again proved to them that he was perfectly capable of meeting their needs. It's sad that in this internal crisis they were having, they were even willing to stone Moses and wanted to go back to Egypt because there they had food and water. They forgot all the hard parts. They just remember the food and water. But now let's go on to the next section of this chapter. In verses 8 through 16 the Israelites faced an external crisis. This time they came under attack by terrorists. Verse 8 says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now who were these Amalekites? They were actually the descendants of Jacob's twin brother Esau. They had parted on good terms over 400 years ago. But by now, things have changed. The reason why they were attacking the Israelites is not given to us in the text. Perhaps they were jealous, having heard the stories of how Jacob had deceived Esau out of his birthright and out of his father's blessing. Or perhaps they had heard how God was destroying all the enemies who stood in the way of these people, including the most powerful force on earth. Egypt. Maybe they were afraid they would be next. We don't know for sure. But where do I get that they are terrorists? In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 to 19, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the strugglers at your rear When they were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. What the Amalekites were doing before this particular passage is as the Israelites went through, you've got to remember there's more than two million of them, they wouldn't attack them directly. They would sneak up behind them, and they would pick off the elderly, the ones who were crippled, the ones who were sick, the ones who couldn't quite keep up, and they were just killing them from the rear working their way up sort of like the fulani uh, the muslim fulani are doing in nigeria they don't come into the main part where it's strong they get the outlying places where people are helpless so the people wonder can the lord protect us from these terrorists and this was a very real crisis for them. Many of you prayed us through the time in 2015, February of 15, when we had a direct threat from Boko Haram on our compound. That was a very tough time in our lives and one that we really just had to lie, rely on the Lord. There was no other choice. But now, in continuing in verse 9, we say, And Moses said to Joshua... Choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and they fought with Amalek. Now there's an interesting thing going on here that you may not have seen before. In this passage, we actually see three simultaneous simultaneous interconnected battles all being fought at the very same time the first battle is the obvious one on the battlefield in this Joshua and this is the first mentioning of Joshua in the Bible he was told to select men for the battle now you have got to understand there wasn't a single trained soldier in all of Israel they were slaves they could make bricks They could do hard labor, but they had no clue how to be soldiers. They were slaves. In this instance, he chose some. Now, not all were chosen, just some of them were chosen. Um, Some of them who were called were glad to go and fight. Others were not so sure that they wanted to be risking their lives this way, and they had rather stay behind and say, Here am I, Lord. Send somebody else. Not everyone in this instance is chosen, but all of us are to be involved in the battle. You see, with us missionaries, we are called by the Lord to go into the battlefield, and we are called to minister there, but you too have a calling here just the same. We're all to be in this battle. We'll come back to this later. In this first battle, the sword is the main instrument of battle. However, the sword alone is not enough. What else is needed? Well, here's where we see the second battle that's being waged. In this one, this battle directly affects the battle on the battlefield. This is a totally different kind of battle. It's a spiritual battle. But it is not fought without physical exertion. Look in verses the second half of verse 10. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So picture this. He has the rod of the Lord in his hands. He's holding his arms up. As long as his arms are up, they're winning. But if I had all of you raise your arms in here and hold them up for the rest of this sermon, I doubt there would be many arms left up, even though we're close to the end. Don't get nervous. (laughs) But it is hard to hold your hands up, and then he has a rod in his arms. And pretty soon his arms get too weary and they come down, And the Amalekites start winning. What happens with this? This was a public demonstration. Was there magic in that rod? Was it some kind of magic wand? No. Him symbolized, him raising his arms, symbolized Israel's dependence upon the Lord to win on the battlefield. And as long as his arms were up, they would win. No doubt his arms being up was also accompanied by the prayers of the men on the hill and probably the entire nation that they would be delivered from the Amalekites. But when his arms went down, it symbolized a lack of dependence and they would start winning. Now he had two men with him and they were smart. Verse 12. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now this was smart. They had him sit down, and and then his arms were still up, and then one of them could get a hold of this arm and hold it upright, and the other one could hold the other one, in that way, they were able to keep his arms up till sundown, and the battle was won. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. One thing that we see here is prayer is exhausting work. And if you have spent a half day in prayer or several hours in prayer, you will know how exhausting it is. Today, just like in this passage, um, our means of loosing the power of God is still by prayer and only by prayer. We cannot do it any other way. We can work as hard as we want to, but if, if it's not accompanied by prayer, we're wasting our time. Work is very hard work, both physically and emotionally. We need many more people to be committing to pray for us. One thing that's, that's alarming to us as we travel around this nation is how few churches have prayer meetings anymore have times of concerted prayer for their own needs or for the needs of their missionaries. But but at the end of this, we saw the second battle of Moses and the men on the hill, but now there's a third battle. The prayers of these men not only affected Joshua and the battlefield, but it also affected a third battlefield. Yes, there was a third unseen battle occurring simultaneously with the other two. Moses was praying to God, and God in turn caused the battle to turn. This third scene is not on earth, this third scene is in heaven where God Himself chooses to respond. To the prayers of his children. Which causes the battle to be won. On the battlefield. We know this from Daniel chapter 10 verses 12 to 13. I won't take time to turn over to that at this point. But Daniel in that passage. He prayed. And it was three weeks before his prayers were answered. And the angel who came to answer his prayer told him, I was sent right away when you first prayed. But he was opposed by satanic forces on the way, had to send for reinforcements reinforce- from Michael to help him break through to get Dan- to Daniel. Ephesians 6:12 also reinforces this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you think it's flesh and blood, you're fooling yourself. God applies his power to the battlefield in response to the prayers of his children and in accordance with their dependence on him. The success and failure of the battlefield is a direct result of his action to our prayers it's just as true today as it was back then but let's go back and look at the pa- at the passage to the lessons god wanted to be learned in verse 14 he says then the lord said to moses write this for a memorial in the book and recount it noting in the hearing of joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. The Lord specifically wanted Joshua to hear, for two reasons. One, He wanted him to know that this was not His a victory of His ragtag group of soldiers. This was not a result of their military expertise. He wanted Joshua to know. That this battle came because he delivered them, not because of what they had done. Secondly, he wanted to give them a message that he wanted eventually would destroy the Amalekites for their cruelty to Israel. That came much later when King King Saul was king. The Lord wanted Joshua to know, and you know something, we missionaries are so thick headed sometimes. We might be tempted to think that what we did, we did. But we forget the connection between battle and prayer. God wants us to know that it is His battle, His response to prayer, this is His outcome. The Lord is our banner. Is his the banner we're fighting under? As we've mentioned in Nigeria, we are definitely on the battlefield. But you too are on another battlefield here. The Lord wants you to be praying diligently for your ministries here and for your missionaries around the world. What you do directly affects what we can accomplish in Nigeria. Your prayers release God's power to accomplish his work in Nigeria and all around the world. Without your prayers, it doesn't happen. I'm afraid we take prayer too lightly. For us, it's a nicety. It's something nice to do. And if we have time, we'll fit it in. But what we don't realize is it is essential if we want to see the Lord work. I cannot explain this. But for some reason, God has tied his work and his working to prayer. God could do this all by himself without using any of us. But he doesn't choose to work that way. That's one of the things I want to ask him when when I get to heaven. Is why in the world he's used all of us to do his work because it would have been so much more efficient and the job would be done if he had done it by himself. But he didn't ask my opinion, nor is he interested in it. So I've got some quotations here that I'd like to share with you. George Berwer has written, great, Satan's greatest aim is to destroy our prayer lives. He is not afraid of prayerless work or of prayerless religion, but he trembles when we pray. Are you willing to enter the battle? Are you willing to do the part that God has given you to do? Now, I am not here to lay a guilt trip on anybody. Not at all. That's the last thing I want to do. But what I do want to do is reinforce to you how critical Your prayers are. They're not optional if we are to succeed. When we first went out, we had more than 100 prayer warriors praying for us. Unfortunately, many of these were older people, and they've gone on to heaven, and people are not replacing them. I would like to invite you to be prayer warriors for us. Who pray for us regularly. Now let's define regularly. Regularly could be daily. It could be a couple of times a week. It could be once a week. It could even be once a month. That's even better than nothing. But to commit to regularly pray for us and for others uh, who you are supporting. We desperately need your prayers. On the back table, there is a sign-up sheet for those of you who are not receiving our prayer letters who would like to. They come by email. If you are also willing to be a prayer partner, just write that beside so we know to add you to the prayer partner list. Uh, We will be, as we send out prayer letters, she, she rushed through the prayer requests on the slides today. But as we uh, go to that when we send out a prayer letter there are always prayer requests at the bottom to give you things to pray about another quote i want to leave you with maury coddle writes when we work we work but when we pray god works and the last one is my favorite prayer one of all time you've heard it before Prayer is not something we do for the work. Prayer is the work. And I think that sentence says it better than any I've ever heard. This partnership is ordained by God, and it's fueled by the belief that God is at work. Each of us has a role to play. Will you join God's team in joining into the prayer force to accomplishing his work? Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we love you. Father, we don't understand why you have included us, but you have, and we praise you for that. We just pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom as to what involvement we should have, which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you folks very much for your partnership with us.